So, um, again, finishing the series tonight, and um, we have been on this journey with Jonah, and we have gone through a lot with him. Uh, We have seen God call Jonah to prophesy against Nineveh, to extend mercy to Nineveh. We have seen Jonah run away from God in the other direction. Uh, We've seen how Jonah's sin led him down this downward spiral, down and further down and further down and further down, throws him overboard. He almost drowns in the sea, and then he finds himself in the belly of the fish. And so we've seen Jonah go further down and further down. Then we also saw last week where after he's vomited out by the fish, that God and his mercy is still on the move. He goes to Jonah and says, look, I've shown you my mercy. I have been faithful to you, even in your rebellion to me. And I've wanted to extend my mercy to Nineveh. And I'm still about that plan and I'm going to use you. And so what we saw last week is Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, prophesies about God's mercy to sinners And what do we see happen? We see that Nineveh repents and they receive and experience God's mercy. And it's amazing. So that's where we are. And where we we find ourselves tonight is that uh, we, we see tonight that Jonah is angry. Jonah is angry. And you think that by now, uh, after everything that Jonah has been through, Jonah would have come to his senses and simply embraced obedience to this merciful God that has been on the hunt for him, that has repeatedly over and over showed him mercy. You think that Jonah would wake up and say, okay, Lord, whatever you ask, I'll do. And yet that's not what we find. We find that he's angry. Um, So that's what we're going to see, that he's angry. And as I have been... uh, as I've had some time on my hands that I usually don't have during the day, I've come to the realization that with the spread of COVID-19 and the spread of fear and anxiety and worry, so much of us need laughter and joy. And so I've been asking myself, what would bring me laughter and joy during this time? And so here's what I decided. I'm going to watch The Office yet again. I'm going to watch The Office yet uh, one more time, and I think this probably is uh, the fifth time. And I've been as I've I've been watching the show, and as I'm watching it again, I've I've uh, sort of started noticing things that made me fall in love with the show in the first place. And I, I'm really convinced that it's two things that I love most. I love so much about this show. Oh, and also, if you want to watch the sh- The Office with me, just bring it on. I'm in season one about. Four episodes in, uh, would love for you to watch it with me. Um, and they can have, they have all those like Netflix, it's still on Netflix, so we could have one of those Netflix watching parties. That would be really fun. Or not. Um, two things I love about The Office. Um, Dwight and his anger towards Jim and Michael and his anger towards Toby. It's my favorite. It's it's I completely lose myself with in both of those relationships. Dwight and Jim and Michael and Toby. And I don't know if you guys saw this meme. This I lost it when I saw this. This was a couple of weeks ago when uh it, the COVID-19 virus really started spreading. There's this meme of Michael with his, he's he has a beard now, so this would be Michael like now if the office kept going. 
and he has this coffee mug that's so so uh, popular that says "Best Boss Ever." But this new meme doesn't say "Best Boss Ever." It says uh, "Toby" in all caps. It says "Toby spread COVID nineteen," <laughs> and Toby spread COVID nineteen. And so, to be sure, as I'm watching it, it's like uh, when it comes these four people. Um, there's a lot of anger going on. And they despise one another. And Jonah, y'all, um, in a much like more intense way, the way that um, Jonah relates to the Ninevites in terms of like he wants the worst for them is a similar dynamic to what we see in a much more prejudice, prejudice way and sinful way. Um, the way that Michael is allergic to Toby and the way that Dwight is allergic to Jim. They, ju- he, they just can't handle these people. But God is relentless in his mercy and his commitment to extend mercy to people even that we who to whom we're allergic. And that's what we're going to see. So we're going to talk about anger and we're going to see how God responds to it. We have two points. We have two points tonight. Point one, anger. Point two, mercy. Anger and mercy. Let's walk through the first one. Anger. So last week in Jonah 3, we saw God's mercy move and extend to the nation of Nineveh. And we've been talking about why Nineveh was so crazy and dangerous. We talked about how um, evil of a nation they were and why Jonah did not want to go there. But yet they experience God's mercy and they repent. And what we find in chapter 4 is that Jonah is mad. Jonah is mad. And uh, he's not happy because remember in the book of Jonah, and I've said this every time almost, repetition of words and phrases is important. And so the repetition of the, the author of Jonah saying, Jonah went down and further down and further down. And then we saw last week, that was the author of Jonah's uh, way of saying, sin takes you down further down and further down. And then last week, what we saw is that there was a repetition of the phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah again. It's God's commitment to his word, to his people, to extend his word and grace to the nations, including evil nations like Nineveh. There's another phrase that we see in chapter four, and it's basically that Jonah was exceedingly angry. Anger pops up all over the place. In verse 1, we read that Jonah is displeased exceedingly, and he was angry. In verse 4, God asks Jonah, do you do well to be angry? So why is he angry? We get the repetition, but why is Jonah angry? In verse 2, we read that Jonah is angry because God wants to extend mercy to Nineveh. That's why. That's why he's angry, that God wants to move toward and extend mercy to a people that Jonah is allergic to. That's why he's mad. Jonah, in short, Jonah doesn't like God's plan. Jonah does not like God's plan. In other words, Jonah is like, look, God, I'm all about your mercy. I'm all about your grace. I'm all about you being gracious. You saved me from drowning in the storm. You swallowed me up and saved me. I was in the belly of the fish. You saved me um, from being swallowed up and becoming fish food. You have saved me, but I don't want your mercy to go toward the Ninevites. Not there. They are off limits. And so Jonah doesn't like God's plan. 
many of you don't like God's plan either. Uh, I oftentimes don't like God's plan, or at least what his plan like appears to be at the moment to me. Um, and so many of you are here right now with the spread of this virus, many of you are questioning God's plan and maybe you're angry at God because Jonah's, Jonah's, um, anger is not just like an arbitrary anger at God's plan. It's an anger directed specifically towards God. Um, and if you find yourself there, um, you're in the boat with Jonah, uh, and many of you are angry because with the spread of COVID-19, you're questioning his plan because you would rather be with your friends eating uh, at Willy Taco or at Burwell or drinking coffee at Starbucks and not eating like meatloaf with your parents. Like you don't want to be doing that. And the semester has been ripped away from you and you're angry and questioning God's plan and you're confused, but it's directed towards God. You might be there tonight. Maybe you're angry because you don't like who you came home to. I don't want to assume that home is safe for you because it's not. And you've experienced brokenness in your home life. And going home to a broken family is bringing up all kinds of anger you have towards God for like giving you a family that's broken. So you're angry. Others of you are angry because plans have been completely ripped away in the sense of like, rather than having this really great internship this summer that you've been planning for, you might have to have this like really obscure and really mundane job in your hometown. Or you had, you had post-grad plans that are uncertain now, or you were planning to study abroad in the fall and you don't know if that's going to happen or not. You don't like God's plans. And uh, I want to invite you to just sit there and own that. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But I just want to say, like, we're in the same, uh, you know, pun intended boat with Jonah in our anger right now. And God's people all across this country are. Others of you, um, I've I've talked to so many of you over, over the years, like so many of you feel so called to be a spouse one day and to be a husband and wife. And every time you throw yourself out there in a relationship, you get rejected and you're angry about that. This is where we find ourselves living in a fallen world. When my older brother died, a lot of you guys know about my brother dying a couple of years ago. Well, it was a year ago this past January. Um, for about eight months, the, the primary experience that I had in my grief um, was anger towards God. Um, and that's something that I had to own. I didn't understand why God allowed certain things to happen in my family, and I was angry. So that's point one, anger. Let's go to point two, mercy. Point two, mercy. How do you expect God to respond to Jonah? Jonah has been running away from God this entire time in the opposite direction. He is so stubborn and persistent in his rebellion against God. How do you expect God to respond after everything that God has sort of like put up with with Jonah? He responds with mercy. He responds with mercy yet again. Um, because again, like in, in his anger in verse five, what we what we actually read is that Jonah leaves the city. Did you see this? It says, 
uh, Jonah left the city to get away from the Ninevites and probably to get away from the presence of the Lord because that's what we know Jonah is all about that. Like, I'm just, I need to go take a walk away from God's plan and, and frankly, away from God. And what we see, Jonah goes on his walk to let off steam. And here's what God does. Look at verse six. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. What, a, what an amazing thing. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. What a mundane kindness that God gives this rebel prophet after all that he has done, all the running and hiding and rebellion. Like Jonah was basically getting sunburnt on his like pouty walk and God was like, I'm going to I'm going to give him some shade. I'm in I like created all these trees in the first place and I'm going to appoint one so specific to shade this prophet prophet individually because I think he might be getting sunburned. I mean that's essentially what is going on. I want you to see the kindness of this. This isn't just a generic mercy. Very specific. We've been talking about that a lot this semester. I feel like there's always a specificity to God's love and care for his people. And we see that. There's a very specific kindness here. The God of the Bible is all too familiar with the cries and discomfort and anger of his people. He's not surprised. All that anger and discomfort we just talked about right now that we're all feeling, he is not surprised by it. He has been giving shade to his discomfort people for centuries, and he's not going to stop. I mean, think of the, think of the, the father with the older son in the parable of the prodigal son. Think about, think about that scene. Older brother, younger brother. Younger brother comes home. He's the prodigal. And then you have the Pharisee older brother who's pouty. He goes, out, he goes outside and goes on his own walk away from the party, away from his father, crosses his arms, tapping his foot. How does the father respond? He goes out to his, his Pharisee older son, and he doesn't respond by scolding him. He says these words, all that I have is yours. Come in and get a barbecue sandwich with your younger brother. That's what he says specific kindness. He goes out to his son. He doesn't respond to our discomfort and, and even our anger towards him uh, with scolding. And with, he doesn't return, um, doesn't respond to our anger with his own anger. He doesn't, not with his children. But why? Because he's our father. And we also see this, a similar dynamic. Think about Jesus and doubting Thomas. It's an unfortunate nickname for Thomas, Doubting Thomas. I uh, always felt bad for him uh, to have that nickname. But remember what happens. You have Ta- Thomas who's experiencing his own grief and disappointment. One of his friends has died, and he says, I'll never believe and I'll always doubt unless I see his scars, unless I touch his wounds. And when you read it in John, you almost read it, he's kind of entitled, like Unless I see his scars, unless I touch his wounds, I won't believe. You can see entitlement in his voice. How does Jesus respond? He goes to Thomas and he gets Thomas's hand and he puts Thomas's hand in his, on his side and he, t- he says, okay, specific grace and kindness and says, I'm going to meet your every need and your every request. I'm here. 
He responds with specific kindness and grace. That's what we see. Friends, God doesn't always explain himself to us in the way that we want. We've got all the questions, all the confusion, all the doubt, all the anger, all the grief. God doesn't always explain himself to us in ways that we want him to. But here's what we do know. When we come to God with our anger and fear, confusion and doubt, he might not respond like we want him to, but he always responds by giving himself. That's always his answer to us. He gives us himself. Y'all, next weekend is Easter weekend. We're about to enter Holy Week, where the church around the world is going to celebrate, especially starting with Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Easter weekend. Y'all, that is God's response to all of our questions. Good Friday and Easter Sunday, cross and resurrection is God's response to our fears and our doubts and our confusions and our anger and our shame and our doubt when he silences it all with his cross and he, he puts death to an end and says, none of it will have the last word. Why? Because I'm going to walk up out of a graveyard. That's what he says. And it's amazing. That's his response. It's not always in the language that we want, the timing that we want, but he always gives us himself. And that's what the cross shows us. Um, that he alone is the answer. Um, so that's that's anger and that's mercy. And y'all, I don't know if you noticed um, when Virginia Francis read the passage, it doesn't end with like some colorful, magical ending. This passage ends with God basically saying, um, I'm God and you are not, and I'm merciful. I'm God and you are not, and I'm merciful. That's what I want you to know. And that's kind of the end of the book. So God's, God's mercy responds to, to our anger. I just, for, by way of application, I want to say three things and, 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 and wrap up. Um, and, and mostly by way of application, not just like this passage, but just kind of where we are at, by sort of things that I've been praying about on, on behalf of, uh, on, on your behalf and just thinking through my own life. The first thing, like as you experience anger, I would say this, listen to your anger. Listen to your anger. And here's what I mean by that. When God's plans, when God's plan uh, and your plan do not mesh, um, this is oftentimes when we experience anger. When God's plan and his providence don't seem to be meshing with our preferences. Oftentimes what we experience is anger. Not at his plans, but actually at God. It's, a, it's very directed towards him. I actually want to invite you to listen to that. And because you're his child, and the way that you process that is actually to own it and to name it. So listen to it. Uh, and that leads to the second point of application. We need to differentiate between anger and grief. We need to differentiate between anger and grief in the Christian life. And, 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 and basically, I don't know if you saw this, there was a really wonderful article in the Harvard Business Review, and the title was this, uh, 
surrounding the spread of COVID-19 and what we're all experiencing. And the title of the, the article is this. That discomfort that you're feeling is called grief. That discomfort that you're all feeling is called grief. I, I'm going to actually just... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a couple of, of lines from that um, and just riff on this article real fast. I might share it on the Facebook page or maybe we can um, share it in different kinds of ways um, on social media and stuff. But listen to this. This is what he says about grief. Yes, we're all feeling anticipatory grief. And anticipatory grief is that feeling uh, we get about what the future holds when we're uncertain Usually it centers on death. We feel it when someone gets a dire diagnosis or when we have the normal thought that we will lose a parent someday. Anticipatory grief is also more broadly imagined futures. There's a storm coming. There's something bad out there. With a virus, this kind of grief is so confusing for people. Our primitive mind knows something bad is happening, but you can't see it. This breaks our sense of safety. We're feeling that loss of safety. I don't think we've collectively lost our sense of general safety like this. Individually or as smaller groups, we, uh, we're people who have felt this, but we're all together. This is new. We are grieving on a micro and a macro level. What can individuals do to manage all this grief? Understanding the stages of grief is a start, but whenever I talk about the stages of grief, I have to remind people that the stages aren't linear. And they might not happen in a particular order. It's not a map, but it provides something scaffolding um, for this unknown world. There's denial, which we say a lot about early on. This virus won't affect us. There's anger. You're making me stay at home and taking away my activities. There's bargaining. Okay, if I social distance for two weeks, everything will be okay, right? Then there's sadness. I don't know when this will end. And finally, there's acceptance. This is happening. I have to figure out how to proceed. Acceptance, as you might imagine, is where the power lies. We find control in acceptance. I can wash my hands. I can keep a safe distance. I can learn how to work virtually. What do you say to someone who's read all this and is still feeling overwhelmed with grief? This is what the author says. Keep trying. There's something powerful about naming this as grief. It helps us to feel what is inside of us. So many have told me this past week, I'm, I'm telling my coworkers I'm having a hard time or I cried last week. When you name it, you feel it and it moves through you. Emotions need motion. They need to move. So he goes on. It's an amazing article. I just want to say this. I've talked a lot about lament with y'all before spiritual maturity there you go thanks mary claire spiritual maturity is not acting like you're not grieving spiritual maturity is not pretending like you're not angry and disappointed you need to name it and own it and this is this is sort of tangentially uh tied to jonah i know jonah didn't experience exactly what we're experiencing but it applies to us broadly we need to own the fact that we're angry how do we do that do that in prayer with God. Welcome to the club of disappointed Christians. And what do they do? They cry out, how long, O Lord? When is this going to happen? Psalm 13 with David. All the Psalms are lament. Almost all of them. Um, so cry out to God. I want to invite you in prayer and with God's people 
like cry with each other. Be angry with each other and let God in on that. He is not surprised and he can handle it. Um, last thing I'll say is this, uh, and, and we'll be done before we pray. I want to invite you and um, encourage you to root yourselves in the promises of God. Root yourselves in the promises of God. Um, living in a fallen world is very uncertain. And um, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who's going to get it. We don't know how fast it's going to spread. We want to flatten the curve. We want to go back to Wofford. We want life to be carried on. Like, there's so much uncertainty, and I know that. The Bible, one thing that is so sermon is the theme of promises. God has made so many promises to his people. I want, to, I want you to familiarize yourself with God's promises in a fresh way with all this uncertainty. That's what Christian maturity looks like as well. Naming your grief, naming your anger, and also on the other hand, saying, "Okay, God, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna own my grief and anger on one hand with you. How long will this happen? I'm angry at you, and who who have you said that you are? Who have you said that I am? And what have you promised to do with this world? What have you promised to do with me? And I'm gonna root, root myself there. Um, I want to invite you to do that. Um, I think that's a good place to start." Let me pray, and then we uh, will break up into groups and pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and um, thank you for Jonah. Thank you for your commitment to him and your uh, grace to him, and your grace to us and commitment to us. And Lord, I, I thank you, as we talked about last week, that you are more faithful than we are that you are more committed to extending your kingdom to the nations, every tongue and every tribe than we are. And thank you that this virus is not going to stop your promises from coming true. It's not going to stop your relentless mercy and kingdom from spreading all across uh, this world. And so, Lord, help us. Give us grace um, to navigate all of this. Um, and we ask that you would continue to slow us down as we break up into groups to pray now. And um, Lord, be with these men and women in this group. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay.